Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello, and welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM with me, David Kermode. They call him Mr. Bubbles, Peter Ferreira, winemaker at Graham Beck. South Africa's pioneer of Cap Classique is my guest to share his story of a life dedicated to traditional method sparkling wine. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. It's easy to see why Peter Ferreira is known as Mr. Bubbles. The winemaker at Graham Beck has devoted his entire career to making sparkling wine in the traditional method. In South Africa, it's called Cap Classique, of course. Graham Beck produces nothing other than sparklers, hence Peter's expertise in that area. Uh, The Graham Beck brand is well-established and well-known in South Africa and over here, of course, as well, offering, I think, exceptional value uh, for the quality of the wine inside the bottle. So it's a great pleasure to welcome uh, Peter to the Drinking Hour. Um, Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, here on the Drinking Hour, Peter. David, it's uh, such a pleasure. And uh, yeah, it's long overdue to talk about everything sparkles or everything bubbles. Oh, yeah. Uh, inherently, bubbles is in my blood. So, uh, yeah, mm, we've, we've really is exciting, exciting stuff to talk about. Yeah. I mean, bubbles have consumed your life, basically. Uh, some winemakers make a, a mix of different styles across their career. Nothing wrong with that, of course. Um, but as you yeah. say, bubbles, absolutely in your blood, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I have been very fortunate. Um, you know, uh, my winemaking career started in the mid 80s. And uh, I happened to join the first specialist producer of Cap Classique in South Africa, a small little winery called Pierre Jordan in Franschhoek. And uh, I had incredible, great uh, mentorship in my seven years I spent there. And then obviously I joined the Beck family in the 90s. And uh, yeah, we have really, you know, looked after the original vision of a man called Graham Beck to be the best example of Cap Classique out of South Africa that we can take into the international market. So the journey still really continues for me. I don't know everything. Uh, I'm still in pursuit of that perfect bubble. And, uh, you know, long may we not find it. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I read somewhere, I I really hope it's true, um, that you almost became a dentist. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what what inkling I had there, you know, it's, it's rather a, a story that uh, it's long, long forgotten type of thing. And uh, yeah, I was just very, very fortunate that the timing was absolutely on my side. And I had some of the best mentors that we still, uh, you know, I, I still value exceptionally well. And, uh, 
and it's not about uh, you're looking after a legacy. I think we we keep redefining, and uh, you know, likewise, uh, hopefully, you know, I, I, I my sort of enthusiasm and passion does does filter through to the rest of the team at Graham Beck, and uh, yeah, it's a brand that really has stood the test of times. You started out in South Africa with a scientific background, which um, so many winemakers um, seem to have. How important is that science uh, to what you do day to day? Very good question. I think uh, science science there too is just a reaffirmation. It's really just to make sure that you cross the T's and do the dots on the eyes. Uh, but really, it, it's, it's about uh, understanding the product, understanding the grape, where they are coming from, and the real sort of terroir principle. So a, a lot of that is really about the gut feel. And with that comes instinct over time. And uh, you really, yeah. So scientific, I, I will never brush it away. I think it's just a confirmation of what we know, but it just casts it in stone for us, really. Yeah, I always wonder this because I was terrible at science at school and everything uh, that I do in wine, and I don't make wine, I, I just judge it and uh, critique it and write about it and enthuse about it. But everything for me is about a kind of um, a gut instinct. Um, and I often think I know nothing about science. I'm terrible at science. I'd be terrible at making wine. So there would be hope for someone like me, would there, just just based on kind of instinct? Completely, David, uh, really. You know, there's one thing that everybody who loves wine and loves to have a good glass of wine, whether it's sparkling wine or white or stills, your palate never lies to you. So it, it really just comes back to understanding, trust your gut, because your palate will never lie. Not every wine falls on the palate for the, for the same reason for anybody. So it's a completely individual experience. And really, to me, it's, uh, you know, uh, your palate your palate will guide you and your palate's trainable. You know, if I think where I started really only understanding sweet wine because that's my, what my palate wanted and the sophistication over the years that you can build, it's really... Your ally is, is, is your palate. So, yeah, gut instinct is n- invariably in wine, never wrong. You spent a bit of time in Champagne as well, didn't you? You, you did some harvests there. Yes, I've, uh, I've been very fortunate that I did uh, five harvests in, in Champagne. It's really, you know, it's, it, I think it's, it's your go-to. If you remain aspirational, uh, Champagne is the go-to. It is the benchmark that we have to understand. And sort of divine inspiration comes from visits out of Champagne. Um, I've been very fortunate over the years to be involved in a little program in uh, California. And currently, Grainbeck is involved in in Hampshire, producing some English fizz. So uh, we, we keep learning and it, it becomes even more and more exciting to, you know, be involved in sort of international projects as well. Yeah, I want to talk about this uh, Hampshire thing in a minute, but we should uh, talk about the great man himself uh, first, um, Graham Beck. Um, he passed away uh, about 13 years ago now. Um, he was... Right. 
an extraordinary man. I, I was reading his his story. Um, he, he basically made his name in coal mining, didn't he? Yeah, he was a definite coal, coal trader. He ventured into breeding of thoroughbred horses. They're still today one of the breeders in the U.S., where his son Anthony Beck resides. But he just had an inkling to, uh, you know, work on, on gut and things like that. And having, far, um, having a farm where he had his thoroughbreds in Robertson, uh, the one year way back in 1981, it was badly damaged. The whole area was badly damaged by a flood. And uh, he felt so sorry for his neighbors that didn't have money to re, you know, recoup and redevelop the farm that he actually bought the farm where our uh, vineyard and our winery is today in Robertson. And he said, he, you know, he just had that gut feel. We're going to be the best example of sparkling wine. And uh, we've taken it from there. So he was an incredible visionary. Uh, he taught us uh, so much. I always say, you know, hang around, read my book one day. There has to be a chapter for every year I've spent with the Beck family. He does sound like a a real visionary and acting on, on gut instinct, as you say. And he saw that potential um, in Robertson. And the fruit from Robertson really is um, pivotal to the success of, of Cap Classique, isn't it? Absolutely. I think it's become a renowned and a very famous area for uh, producing grapes uh, such as Chardonnay and Pinot Noir that goes to base wines for Cap Classique. And invariably over the years, uh, I can tell you, I don't have enough fingers and, and toes anymore to tell you how many uh, peers and, uh, you know, other guys buys grapes in, in Robertson. So verticulturally, I think we have uh, learned how to work in a warmer climate. Uh, we are not scrumming away from that. Invariably, we embrace sunshine. And I think the rest of the world is just learning to work under sunshine due to climate change. And I think uh, if there's three secrets to Robertson where, where Graham Beck had this gut instinct, it's one is sunshine, two is the calcareous soils we have, huge limestone deposits, the highest natural occurrence of limestone in the Western Cape. And then we have a huge dynal shift, which is the difference in day and night temperature. And that can be as as much as 25 degrees from mid, midday heat to cold nights. And that is the key to getting that acidity that is um, just fundamental for sparkling wine. For longevity, for brightness, and really to make the, the, the bubble dance on your palate, you definitely need that beautiful freshness of acidity. So we've obviously opted, uh, due to the nature of our geographical uh, situation, we have opted over the years to obviously do a non-mallow style. And the more I read about uh, Champagne and other areas, they're also trying to block mallow lactic now to keep freshness. So we were just very fortunate. And, uh, you know, I think uh, stylistically... It has been the success for Graham Beck uh, in that sense, stylistically, in, in the house style. Just elaborate for us uh, a little bit on Mallow, because uh, for those listening who, who don't 
um, kind of uh, know wine inside out, but are enthusiastic about it. Uh, malolactic fermentation, uh, the uh, the transfer from malic to, to lactic acid. Um, it's technical, but it's really interesting because it's very important uh, to the end product. Just tell us a bit more about uh, why uh, you don't do malolactic fermentation. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it's wrong not to do mallow, but uh, for, the, for, for, for really the listener out there, really just to understand, if you have 10 grams of acidity, we speak of total acidity, but the acidity is made up by tartaric acid and malic acid. Should you, during the primary fermentation or towards the end of the primary fermentation, use a bacteria, that, that bacteria will change the malic acid to lactic acid. So it's like changing it from a very green apple to like a milky texture. But mm -hmm. if you have 10 grams and uh, you in a warmer area, invariably you will have between 6 and 7 grams of tartaric and the rest will be malic. So if you lose that malic acid, you're going to sit with quite a flabby bubble. And uh, that's just, you know, it's something we, we, we try and manage and uh, to our best ability to give you freshness. We're drinking wine under 360 days of sunshine in South Africa. And, uh, you know, in the nature of the house style, that's what we want. Yeah, and you have a lovely uh, lemony freshness uh, to uh, all of your wines, which uh, I'm sure is uh, uh, connected to that. I, I read um, on your, your website, you're also working with whole bunches. Um, tell us why that is important. Well, whole, whole bunch is the whole crux of the champagne principle. You know, we are not trying to be similar or uh, very nearly like champagne. We just uh, respect the, the process. And the only way you can uh, divide juice from a whole bunch, if you can imagine you have a bunch in your hand or a cluster in your hand and you squeeze it very gently, you have natural free-run juice running from the grape or the bunch without the berries being squashed. And slowly but surely, the more pressure you apply to the bunch, you're splitting the berry, but... In that sense, having the opportunity to separate the free run, which we call the cuvee or quality fraction, from the rest, uh, just gives us beautiful blending opportunities and really to give you purity. It's, uh, you can't take a grape, put it through a, a de-stalker and then take the mash into, uh, you have one unit of mash where a whole bunch will give you at least two or three units. And in some places down south in Hampshire, they even go up to four different separations. So uh, it can be much more precise than just having juice as juice. And you are working uh, with long aging too, aren't you, with your Cap Classique? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not so young anymore, but, uh, you know, um, patients and, uh, you know, I think uh, what, our motto is for Cap Classique in South Africa is that everything is perfected by time. We have a minimum requirement from the 2023 vintage, which has just happened. 
We have a minimum requirement. If you want to have any reference to Cup Classic in South Africa, you have to have minimum 12 months lease contact time. A little bit like Champagne. Champagne's 15 months. You have in Franciacorta, you have three classifications. In Cava, you've got three classifications. So it is just we have grown uh, with uh, the request from our members. And then if you want that real brioche notes and things like that, you have to go beyond three years. It's no question in my mind. So... On our non-vintages, which is really everyday drinking, we're showing you the primary aromatics of Chardonnay Pinot Noir. And then if you want the real yeasty brioche notes, uh, you go to our vintages. Yeah, and they offer, over here at least, extraordinary value. As I said in the introduction. Um, the, it's a steal. What, it's a, oh, that's great. It's what you're getting for the price. Guy. Absolutely. Go yeah. out and buy it all. We'll send you some more. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you one thing I, I also hadn't tasted before last week, which is your Ultra Brute. Um, very good. This is zero dosage. And I often say to people that I'm more in love with the idea of zero dosage than the reality sometimes, in champagne at least, and in English sparkling wine, because the acidity can be very tough. It can be very austere. Um, but that's not the case um, with uh, your Ultra Brute. And I read that you... Um, when you're making it, it's like a high wire act, a trapeze artist almost. Um, just tell us a bit more about how you make that uh, style. Can you imagine a trapeze art? Yeah, can you imagine a trapeze art, artist without the safety net? I mean, this is it. You know, dosage is a really amazing tool for the winemaker and in for the final process of bottle fermentation. I can give you so much information on that. But, you know, that little bit of sugar you you add is lipstick and eyeshadow. So I can make a wine look extremely sexy or I can try and show you a wine with no sugar, but it just doesn't come that simple. The, the, the one you tasted was the 2016 uh, Ultra Brute. And if you look at the, uh, the date of disgorgement, which we classify on the back label, you would notice that wine's nearly six years on the lees prior to disgorging. And again, we now know 15 months is sufficient for Grainbeck's non-vintages on the lease. Our vintages has an expression of four years on the lease. And then the longer we can keep it four years on, it really grows logarithmically that we can eventually show a wine with no added sugar. So the Ultra Brut is our purest expression of dryness or of purity. And then on, if you read the back label, it does has a reference to dosage zero or zero dosage. And it has uh, a, a wonderful beguiling element of luxury to it. As I say, none of the austerity that you can sometimes find with the zero dosage. Um, that, that, that is just that, uh, that Lee's character uh, doing that work uh, for you, is it? It is definitely, you know, uh, if I had enough time and we can sit together next time and I can draw you a little graph, it's much better understood. What I'm trying to say from four to six years on the lease, it's only two years, but the expression of yeast autolysis that we get during this time is most probably nearly three years of concentration. So we build up concentration so much quicker 
the longer we can keep it on the yeast. And that allows us to express a wine with no added sugar in the final process. Well, it's a really delicious wine. So, um, yeah, well done for that. And on that subject, um, how do you kind of define Cap Classique? Uh, As you said earlier on, everyone benchmarks against champagne. That is the benchmark. It's the obvious one. Uh, But um, you're not trying to make a champagne in South Africa, I'm assuming. You're trying to make something with its own character. Absolutely, David. It's such a lacquer question because I really, you know, I respect champagne. My divine inspiration comes from there. All I'm telling anybody listening if you don't want to do champagne on the day, there are, there are many of those days that does pass through a lot of wine wine enthusiasts, is you should put Cap Classique on the radar. It's uniquely South African. We follow the exact same principles. We are every year as an association, we get together. We actually have a base wine day where everybody brings their raw materials and we collectively look at uh, improving the, car- the the quality year after year. And um, uh, it's just beautiful. And you know what? Our bubbles from South Africa contain sunshine. When last did you taste bubbles? Like feels like sunshine. And that is, that's most probably the point of departure for us and makes us uniquely South African. Yeah. And anyone who's visited South Africa uh, will subscribe to, to that uh, view, I think. Do you get a bit frustrated um, that um, everything is always um, sort of defined by champagne? If you make sparkling wine, and as I said earlier, you've devoted your entire working life to it, do you get a bit um, hacked off that everyone always compares everything to champagne? Sure, that's a tough question. You know, um... I would say there's, there's too, too many consumers that has a reference to champagne and they're drinking Prosecco or they're drinking Cava and they don't know the difference. So uh, it, it, I don't think it's a very easy question. Uh, if I speak to an audience that respects wines and things like that, I think the message is clear. But yeah, for the general consumer and most probably definitely locally, I'm speaking South Africa now, their reference is champagne, whether they are drinking sparkling wine or Prosecco, uh, it still remains champagne. So uh, that's why I say we respect champagne. We have so many friends, and I'm not just speaking for myself and the Graham Beck team, but we have many South African winemakers that's made such great friends in champagne is because we're not competing. We're just a beautiful alternative should you not want to do champagne. And that brings us neatly onto Hampshire and uh, what you're doing over here. Uh, Tell us about that. Well, it's been a lifelong dream, really, David. Uh, You know, I I try to convince Graham Beck that we should have at least one hectare of uh, Grand Cru in Champagne itself, you know, because that's your ultimata. And he said, well, go and fetch it, you know, go and look for it. So uh, in uh, many years ago now, he says, well, Go and see if you can find something. And I came back with a, a price tag on a piece of land. And he says, well, you know, write that on your belly. It's never going to happen. It was <laughs> just simply unaffordable. 
And, you know, Graham Beck is a serious businessman. We gave him, always give him a 30-page financial report. And he says, well, you know, I actually only want to see the bottom page. And um, without, with that, then uh, obviously with Graham Beck passing, Anthony Beck, who is really seriously a wine connoisseur, he loves wine. He has a winery in Oregon. Uh, we have an international footprint. Uh, he said, well, you know, I, I told him, you know, English fizz is going to be the next big, big thing on, on the wine map. And uh, he says, well, let's go and search. So we, our, our search started in 2016, and we really, you know, went from east to west, north to south, and we tried to understand the lie of the land, where the gems were lying. We made friends as we knocked on doors, and we slowly realized, you know, um, due to sort of the planning commissions and things like that you have in the UK, was just going to put us five years behind schedule. And we opted then to say, well, let's uh, do uh, like a negotiant route. So we opted in 2018, which is our maiden vintage. We opted uh, to follow uh, an, a negotiant way where we would go and source parcels of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Munia. And uh, we were just very lucky that Ian Collette opened these doors for us at Hambledon. And we started our first vintage there. So 18, 19, sadly, COVID came. We didn't do uh, the vintage 2020. 21, we were just not happy with the quality. And we said, well, you know, it's better to be true to what we believe in. And then... uh, we have picked it up this year in 2022. So I'll be there shortly to look at the 22 base wines and blend it with the Hambledon team. So extremely mm. exciting. We, 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 we say, you know, follow the hashtag, you know, GB and GB because nobody can take it away from us. Cranbeck in Great Britain. So, uh, you know, the space is still very young, very youthful. I'm extremely excited with what we have bottled up to now. And uh, I really, I love what I taste um, uh, from the UK sparkling wines. Yeah, and you're with great people, of course, at Hambledon, great pioneers of um, English sparkling wine uh, in Hampshire. What is it that excited you so much about uh, England then, uh, all those years ago? Well, you know what? Uh, I think, uh, you know, as uh, as winemakers, we, we love to understand trends and things like that. But just on a daily basis in our inboxes, we were bombarded how good English fizz is. So I said, well, let's learn about this because we can't really get them here in South Africa. So, you know, knowledge is power. So we started to travel and, uh, you know, at ProVine, uh, the English uh, wine uh, comp- uh, the old G- uh, GB uh, was very close to the South African stand so you know there was a lot of cross pollination and you know uh, we quickly hopefully you know we are friendly people and we are very open to conversations and that is how it really started but but it, it, it's about the gem you know and make no mistake I think Nightimber has done all the hard slog work it's even from the early 90s, I've been following them. Um, and then there are some really amazing examples now, you know. And uh, they're going to definitely keep us on our toes. 
we're doing a little bit of a remote operation, but I'm I'm really up to the challenge and uh, hopefully can contribute to the strength of uh, British bubbly. Yeah, well, it's very generous of you to kind of divide your time um, and uh, and to do that, David. I think it's when you have a belief, uh, it's again, you know, trust your trust your gut, and we've. We've been given this opportunity. We have the backing from the family. And, uh, you know, I think it's exciting times. Yeah, It really is uh, an exciting time for uh, English wine. There's, there's no two ways about that. Um, let's come back to Cap Classique. It was for a long time uh, Method Cap Classique, MCC. I think you all decided to drop the word method, didn't you? Yeah. You know, we, we actually tried very hard just to move away from MCC, because if you had to hashtag MCC, you get to Melbourne Cricket Club and you might get to some sect in India and it sort of leads you on the sort of uh, point of departure. But um, uh, we just thought, well, you know, Kaplasik is just shorter, it's stronger than method. We still have to refer to the process as the method, but it's a given, it's a recipe. So um, uh, using the words Cap Classique, it's just was really just to try and get our local consumers to move away from MCC. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a long journey. I think we have lots of buy-in, uh, but the message that we take into the international market as a category is Cap Classique. And if I've got this right, I think the etymology is... Cape Classic, is that right? Yeah, it's it's an amazing story. There was fourteen like-minded people in 1992. We actually we actually ventured for a long weekend to Swaziland, and we said, "Well, we have to come up with something because already then we got the warnings that uh, Metaud Champenoise was only going to belong to Champagne uh, in 1995." So in '92 we went. We went for a weekend and, you know, we we thought, well, Cape is really where we're from, so it's a sense of place. And classic is the traditional method, you know, or the classic way to get bubbles into the wine. But then, you know, after many, many glasses of wine, we just said, well, let's call it cup because it sounds much grander. And then classic, so that's how it all came about. Ah, and you were there right at the beginning, you know, right at the start of that name then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was one of the founding founding members. Uh, like I said, there was 14. Today, the association in South Africa speaks for at least 120, 20, 125 members. And it represents at least 90% of the total cup classic produced in South Africa. So it's quite a, an amazing inclusive category. And exports, obviously, of crucial importance to the South African wine industry and uh, South African wine is uh, constantly being reappraised upwards I should say Um, it's doing a really impressive job uh, on the global markets Uh, do you sense that Cap Classique is is part of that movement that Cap Classique is being understood and appreciated around the world? Uh, David absolutely I mean if you look at the uh, if you look at the rolling figures, Cap Classique is the only category that is is 
is really doubling up every four years. So we have double-digit double growth as a category. Um, white wines are really stagnant, maybe a 3 or 4% rise. Red wine, depending on the time of the year, is either up or down. Um, but the category is really amazing. But I have to congratulate the UK for the incredible support they gave us through lockdown. And you can just follow the, the, the uh, export or import figures into the UK of Cap Classique. It's really, uh, yeah, it's put Cap Classique on the map. Um, and, you know, I don't only speak out of a Graham Beck point of view because it's fairly av available, but we have been in that market for 27 years, you know, so... It's been a slow progression, but we have we are gaining momentum. The more cup classic we can get into the UK markets, uh, the better for the category. It's worth mentioning uh, what happened in the pandemic. Uh, you touched on it there. Um, it was, um, yeah, potentially a complete disaster for uh, South Africa's uh, wine industry. There was an alcohol ban, which was imposed um for for sort of healthcare region reasons officially uh you can you know argue about that but we we, we don't need to now um, it's history but uh, the effect um was potentially devastating uh for south africa's uh, wine industry uh, did you feel at that point in time that you were kind of uh, looking at the abyss <sighs> i you know it's easy to look back and uh, you know the, you know we've all pretty much survived reasonably well. But you know what? We, we've, we really felt like uh, uh, bandits when we had an open bottle of wine we, we, which we were just taking home. You know, first of all, the wine, the wine industry wasn't a, an essential service, no matter how uh, well you look after your babies in the cellar. Uh, we had a total ban, so you know. And but in unison, you know, we we believed that uh, we will get through it. And uh, yeah, but if I really think back, how disastrous it was. Uh, yeah, but again, then I th we we really we owe a lot to the UK markets for keeping South Africa in the limelight. Talking about safe South African wine, I'm talking generally now, uh, it's really, it's a feather in everyone's cap uh, in your country. And we are extremely thankful that, you know, and the figures are showing the UK, the UK is booming for South African wine. Yeah, well, it's a reflection uh, of the quality and the value that's uh, uh, there to be had, I think. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it, it's richly deserved. Let's talk about some happier moments um for uh, cap classique because um I, I believe yes one of your wines was chosen to celebrate the inauguration of president nelson mandela in 1994 wasn't it i i still get goosebumps when people uh, have a reference to that it's it's a long last lasting legacy it was really yeah i, I think uh, it did graham beck so proud that he was just there the right time at the right place we just happened to launch in 1993 our first uh, sparkling and yes and then you know we got the kudos that it was the president's choice for his inauguration 
And you know what? It's uh, become fit for many other presidents. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be the president of your local lawn tennis association, David, we've got the wine for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, um, I'd happily uh, quaff that. Um, and that brings us neatly on to President Barack Obama. Uh, tell us about that. David, this is an amazing story. When we entered the U.S. market, I'll keep it quite short, but when we entered the U.S. market in 2004, I thought, geez, we should be very fancy. Speak about the pH of the wine, the acidity, how long it's been on the lease. And somebody back home, I think it was even my wife, reminded me, speak about the bomb, about Mandela. Anyway, so we took the story of Graham Beck as the Mandela story. It was used at the inauguration. And there was such much pride in the story that people said, hang on, I need that wine. And that is how we went about it. And then in 2007 in Chicago, when I visited there for the first time, I had the opportunity to show it to a sommelier. I told him the Mandela story he says, stop right there. He's got the right, right clientele. In February 08, Barack moved, went to the restaurant and uh, in walked the sommelier with a tray of Graham Beck and says, please enjoy this wine. It was used at Nelson Mandela's inauguration. The penny dropped there. The wine was sold on that night, not by us, but by the story. So storytelling has become extremely important for successful brands. Yeah, and uh, what an accolade, a double accolade, you know, (laughs) President Nelson Mandela and President Barack Obama. I mean, where do you go from there? Anyway, uh, you mentioned, um, I'll tell you where we'll go from there. You mentioned Anne, your wife, and uh, you've been uh, uh, married very happily for a good couple of decades at least um and you make wine together don't you it's it's really a crazy story um uh sure there's a lot of respect uh she's she's a wine aficionado she's been involved in the business and uh, you know she always has pushed me and says listen you're gonna never retire you're always gonna be involved in bubbles you know let's do something so uh, the story really goes that before Graham Beck passing, uh, I put to him and said, listen, sooner or later, Graham Beck's going to kick me under the butt because I'm too old or I have to retire because of my age. And uh, this is what I want to do. And, you know, the plan was on the table. He says, I like it. We'll sign it off. So uh, slowly but surely, we have been building up stock. So the story goes, as I have huge respect for the Beck family, that uh, during my uh, duration at Graham Beck, uh, Anne is my boss. She owns me. She is. She even has registered my name as the wine. So I can't scrum away from her. So I'm a humble winemaker. And she looks after the day-to-day operation. So it's really a beautiful little brand that will grow uh, the more time Grainbeck will allow me to to spend on that as time goes by. Yeah, I don't think Graham Beck's ever going to let you go, uh, to be honest. But <laughs> I have that um... similar feeling, you know what I mean? But, you know, you know so be it. It's, uh, it's been an f- incredible journey. I, 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 we are just extremely thankful. We, you know, we, we've grown with a brand, and 
it's so close to my heart. It's yeah, you're right. I will most probably never be able to walk away from it. Lock you in the cellar, I suspect. But um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there are worse places to be than the Graham Beck cellar um, imprisoned. I, I'm sure. Um, let's ask a, a big question. Um, you are Mr. Bubbles. So, what is your winemaking philosophy? If someone said that you had to kind of boil down the way you think about making sparkling wine. What is the most important thing? What's your philosophy? How much time have we got? No. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's really, there's no crystal ball gazing. Uh, I I really, you know, the magic doesn't happen when the fermentation starts happening. it's, It's much beyond that. It's understanding your different components it's understanding consistency and continuity. That's how you build a successful brand. And it really does, doesn't come overnight. And the closer we get to Mother Nature, the more we understand uh, individual components. That really plays a role going forward. So, yeah, I'm not giving you an answer at all. But in terms of philosophy, I think it's really... Uh, it's one plus one is equals three, you know. The greatest sum of things you get involved with should be more than, you know, the combined parts, that type of thing. Uh, uh, I don't have the exact sort of saying to that, but I think if you, 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 have, to, you have to start with the best possible fruit, you have to have the best possible cellar, caretaking of what comes into the winery, and then uh, the vision how you di- direct the wines to it. So uh, it's, 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 it's a little bit uh, deeper than just a short answer. No, but it's a good answer and, and honest one as well. Um, the other question we tend to ask our guests um, uh, is uh, a desert island wine. Uh, so yeah. uh, if, it can, if it can be one of, you know, you can have your own wine, um, but uh, if you are stuck on a desert island... Um, what would you be drinking? Well, first of all, Anne has to be with me, you know, so uh, I think that will that will make it much more sweeter. But uh, my ultimate my ultimate go to wine to understand where real intrinsics lie is Comte de Champagne from Tattinger. It's a hundred percent Chardonnay. I've been following that wine from the nineteen eighty eight vintage. I've never missed an opportunity to taste the vintages from then going forward. And that really, you know, it just somehow the wine speaks to me. I can feel the wine. You know, it's like I can get in the bubble and look out and see, you know, where 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 the wine is going. So that's my ultimate go-to wine. And if it can be a magnum, as Winston Churchill said, it's even better. Absolutely. Well, I think we can, uh, if Anne's there as well, you'll need a magnum, I'm sure. But uh, um, yeah, that's a a very lovely choice. Um, uh, Peter, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining us here on The Drinking Hour. Thank you, David. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition. Using the best in the world, to judge the best in the world. We conclude, as ever, with some medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame in 2022. And 
Uh, first of all, keeping it topical, here's a medal winner from the Graham Beck stable, uh, one that we were talking about uh, earlier on, Graham Beck Cap Classic Ultra Brute 2016, uh, one that I uh, very much enjoyed. Uh, the judging uh, panels were led uh, in 2022 for the first time by S.E. Avalan, Master of Wine, uh, a guest on this programme previously and a world authority on traditional method sparkling wine. Uh, here's what uh, the judging panel said for the Ultra Brute. Uh, it won a bronze medal. Here's the judging panel's tasting note. A dry and steely texture balances the creamy and broad palate, showing tropical fruit and citrus notes. And we were raving about uh, Robertson and the fruit that comes from there in our chat just now. Um, the quality of its Chardonnay, most specifically. Here's a silver medal winning wine from there. Robertson Winery Constitution Road Chardonnay 2021. It was judged in situ um, by a panel composed of uh, visiting international judges. I was among them and local specialists as well, with Alistair Cooper, MW, in charge of proceedings. Here's the tasting note. Flinty mandarin and bruised windfall apples on the nose, with a hint of nuttiness. Well-balanced and judged oak brings spice and mouthfeel, leading to a honeyed citrus finish. And here's a gold medal winner from that uh, process in Pal. Um, June last year we were there uh, from a brilliant producer in uh, the most extraordinary surroundings, Fergalagan Estate. Uh, GVB White 2020 won a gold medal with 95 points. It's a blend of uh, Sauvignon and Semillon, so like a white Bordeaux, uh, a wine style that I really adore. Um, here's what the judges said. A gloriously complex and aromatic wine with beautifully balanced flavours of zesty citrus fruits, lush tropical mango, juicy green apple, uh, freshly cut garden herbs and succulent green capsicum. The delightfully bright finish is both gracefully long and marvellously succulent. Wonderful, they said. Cannon Cop is celebrated for its Pinotage, at least one of those wines uh, scooped a gold medal. Uh, we've mentioned it before. So here's something else they're really rather good at, Cabernet Sauvignon. Cannon Cop Cabernet Sauvignon 2005 scooped a gold medal. Uh, the judges, led by Alistair, but also featuring Beth Kelly, MW, of uh, Majestic Wine, and also John Oliferve and Greg Mutambe, uh, said this. Serious evolution to the nose, palate of dried and fresh fruit and strong earthy notes. Tannins firm and ripe with clear potential for further ageing, evolved and integrated with obvious pedigree. And we mustn't forget spirits from South Africa as well. Uh, here's one that scooped a gold in 2022. Incendo Distillery Barrel and Bean Liqueur. This is an African coffee infused rum. Uh, and the judges said, complex coffee aromatics that leave you wanting more. Uh, the fruity aromatics on the nose are perfectly intertwined with delicate vanilla on the palate. The gentle sweetness is refreshing with undertones of gentle woodiness and exceptional balance. Sounds uh, delicious. What a way to round off. That's it for another edition of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to Mr. Bubbles, Peter Ferreira, for a fascinating chat. Uh, that was episode 99. So next week, we reach episode 100 of The Drinking Hour. 
uh, with a very special guest. I shall just tease you with that. Uh, Do join us next time for episode 100. For now, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.